0: Our scripture reading today will come from Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 1 through 4. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. Please be seated. I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew, the 25th chapter. We'll be planted there this morning as we examine the parable of the virgins. It's a very beautiful morning. We say that often, but really this morning is a beautiful morning. When you think about what was going on, some of you drove in from snow, some of you drove in in rain, and some of us saw a rainbow this morning. And we see God's beautiful nature and the things that He has prepared and done for us, and we're able to meet together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and to worship the God of heaven who created those things, it is definitely a beautiful morning. We're so thankful to be here. We're thankful for your kindness and and love and compassion towards our family. We feel like this is a home away from home. We know many of you. And, of course, we do have family here, and it means very much to us to be able to visit with our family. There are several times in the ministry of Jesus where His disciples ask Him questions. And boy, am I thankful that they ask him questions. Maybe it was about a parable, a parable of the sower. And they ask him, what do you mean by these things? And so he would explain it to them. But sometimes they ask him, Lord, who will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Can we be there right by your side? And we learn many good lessons from that. One time he was asked a question, why do you speak to them in parables? In Matthew, the 13th chapter, beginning of verse 10 and following, Jesus says, in essence, He says this, I speak because hearing, those who want to hear will be able to hear and understand. And those who don't want to hear, those things will be hidden from them. Then He quotes from the book of Isaiah. And He says, you're blessed because you're able to hear and see those things that prophets and kings long ago desired to see. And certainly this morning, you and I are able to see those very things, To see those parables and what they mean and their significance. Because we desire to see those things and we desire to understand. And all those parables, even though they were spoken to a first century crowd, to a first century people who may be living in a different time and living under different circumstances, you and I are able to understand those parables. I will tell you, in India, parables become more alive. Because I feel many times that they're living exactly... The way that they lived in the first century. And so you have a greater appreciation when you see it outside of your culture and your setting. In Matthew, the 25th chapter is the parable of the ten virgins. We have what we call short-term preparation. You did that this morning. Many of you woke this morning, maybe before the sun rose, and you prepared a breakfast and you ate this morning. That's an important meal, and I hope that you ate so that you can stay awake and have energy. That's what we tell our children I don't eat, but we tell our children you need to eat, have energy, so you can stay awake during worship, and you can stay awake when you go to Bible class. So this morning, you probably prepared food. You might have eaten something. Hopefully, you changed clothes. I don't see anyone in their PJs this morning, but you, as part of your preparation this morning, you changed clothes before you came. You probably had something set out the night before your preparations were so important. You already had those clothes picked out. You didn't have to worry this morning about preparing them. I hope this morning that you brushed your teeth. I brushed my teeth. I made sure our children brushed their teeth. I hope you brushed your teeth this morning as part of your preparation. What about grabbing your Bibles? I hope that you brought your Bible. We come before our Lord God and worship Him. We need to have our Bibles, don't we? Maybe it's in the form of a tablet or a phone. It's still the Word of God. But this morning you grabbed your Bible as part of your preparation because it's important to you to have that when you come the symbol with the saints and worship God. You found the keys. Maybe it was a mad rush. What happened to the keys? Where did they go? We've got to get in the car. We've got to go. You grabbed the family. Hopefully you left no one at home this morning as part of your preparation. You didn't accidentally leave a family member at home. You buckled up. It's part of your preparation. It's just a habit. You do it. You get in the car, you buckle up. You make sure the children are buckled up because you're not going to pull out of the driveway until everyone has their seatbelt on. That's part of your preparation. And then you drove here. That's a given. Short-term preparation. we do these things quite often, especially for those of us who have school children that are taking their children to school or you have a normal routine. You're getting up in the morning, getting prepared for work. Some of you work at home and you don't change out of your PJs, and hopefully you brush your teeth before you go online and video chat with those you work with. We do these things, short-term preparation. And then we have what we might call long-term preparation. Most of us who are adults probably went to school for 13 years, some 14 if you went to pre-K. It's a lot of preparation. That's a lot of time being educated so that you may continue on through your adult life as a productive individual. You don't have to go to college, but some people do. Some go for two years, maybe a trade school, and they go to some type of training. They want to further their education, or they need a certificate so that they can work in the job that they want. Some of us have going on to a four-year school. We want a bachelor's in order to be able to teach, in order to be able to work at a certain place. Then we want to earn a bachelor's, and so we go to school for that. So that's 13 plus four is 17 years of school for a career. Some of you love school so much that you went for even more school. When I finished preaching school, I said, I don't think I will ever do any more school ever again. I was thankful for my time of preaching school, but I said, that's enough. I don't think I can do any more school, but some of you love school so much that you went for the national average is two to four years for a doctorate. Some of you did that, and then you said, well, I think I'll get another one, so you went again, so you spent a lot of time in long-term preparation. Why do we call it long-term? Because you educated yourself for your career, and if you really think about that math, and someone is 13 years and then four more years for their bachelor at 17, plus maybe a four more years, that's 21 years of school so that means they're 26 years old and they're going to work to what 66 70 people can retire at different times but we spend a lot of time in educating ourselves for our careers and we prepare ourselves for retirement but those preparations they're not the most important preparations the short-term and long-term preparations we talked about are incomparable There's no way they stack up to the eternal preparations that we're making sometimes in helping our children from the time they can walk and go to Bible class and the preparations that you're making every day, even if you're in your retirement age. That short term and long term preparations mean nothing in comparison to the eternal preparations that you and I must make. Point number one from Matthew, the 25th chapter. I told you we would plant there, we'll stay there, and we're going to draw our points. We'll have six of them. The first is this Preparing for heaven begins now. Not in the future, I'll get to it. It begins now. Read with me in the 25th chapter. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise, five were foolish. And those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. It begins now. They had to prepare ahead of time. Some didn't and some did. But preparation begins now. This statement is by our brother J.W. McGarvey. He says, The Jewish wedding began with a feast in the house of the bride's father. The bridegroom led the bride to his own home, And it was the duty of his servants in the household, of whom the ten virgins, in this case, were part. to Honor him and the bride with an enthusiastic welcome. Not part of our culture. We're not standing and waiting for the bridegroom. We're not waiting to be invited into the feast. But it was a part of their culture, and they would have understood. And I'm thankful that you and I can understand culture in the Bible. And I find that interesting when we learn about what culture was like. And then these things mean more to us. We understand, why are there ten virgins waiting what are they waiting for? Why do they have to be prepared? So preparation begins now. Do You understand that's a special event. They wanted to be able to go into it, so preparation began before the wedding event. Think about this. They were pure. Notice what Jesus says, they were ten virgins. Emblem of purity, symbolism of purity. They were pure And they were waiting. They're eager. They have a desire. They've clothed themselves in purity. And they're waiting. Some were prepared. They knew I must take extra oil. And the five others were not prepared. But they still had a desire. They were still virgins. Five were wise and five were not wise. Reality of it. And Jesus makes this point. Why ten? I don't know why ten. Maybe because it was a complete number. Why half of them and half were not? Does it really mean anything? Maybe not. But we know this. Some were prepared and some weren't. But they were all virgins and they were all eager. They all had a desire. But it came down to the critical decisions that they would make. Preparing for heaven begins now. Right now. Every morning we wake up. Preparing for heaven begins right now because that actually could be the day in which you and I will breathe our last breath. Involved in the India work, I travel quite a bit, many times to local congregations in our area in northern Tennessee where we live. And it's been very unfortunate as of late. I've been to multiple congregations and they've announced that a 21-year-old died in a car accident. An 18-year-old was killed in an accident. It's happened several times several times and we're reminded of the reality that life is not promised it's not guaranteed and there may be times in your past where something happened and you really think man i shouldn't have survived that but you're here this morning but this day might not be completed in your life this day might be the day are you prepared now because preparation begins now And it began for many of you years ago, and you've been preparing, and you've continued to prepare and continue to prepare. But maybe there's someone sitting here this morning you've not prepared, and you think time will come for me. It'll happen later. I've got my whole life to live. And many people have said that, and they didn't come home. And those young people that I've heard about recently, they didn't think that was going to be the end for them. Preparation for heaven begins now. Don't make any excuses. Critical decisions must be made now. Point number two, preparing for heaven is not an easy thing to do. Look at verse five. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. They were tired of waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They're waiting. They don't know why he's not come yet, but they're waiting. It's not an easy thing to do. It really isn't to have to wait. We teach our children at home. They know what the word patience means. That means sometimes I have to wait on someone else. And recently I heard someone explain this patience implies choice. And I thought about that for a second. I said, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Patience implies choice. They had a choice and they chose to wait. And it was beyond their control. Preparing for heaven is not an easy thing to do because sometimes we have to wait. Why is it difficult? Because we don't know when the day's coming. We just don't know. It would be nice to know and it's probably a really, really wise thing that we weren't told that day. Because then we would slip off into excuse after excuse after excuse that, well, I know it's not now, so I'll make up for it later. I'll make a change later. I'll do something about it later. I'm thankful that we're not told the day or the hour. Oh, many people have predicted it, and how foolish those predictions were because they've been wrong. But really, every day we wake up, we're thinking this is the day. We are predicting that, aren't we? Today's the day. That's the way we should live. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week. Not in a few years. That's the re- really the way we think. We woke up this morning. Today is the day I will die or our Lord will come back in the air and we'll meet Him there. That's the way we should think. And so in essence, we do predict the day. But in reality, we don't know. We don't know the exact day that He's coming back. That's why it's difficult for some people to prepare for heaven. Because they don't know the day. In Matthew 24 and verse 42. Jesus said this once, he said it several times in that context, he says, watch therefore for you do not know the hour in which the Lord is coming. Watch, Jesus would say, watch, watch and pray because you don't know, you don't know and so every day really is the day of salvation, the day that we wake up, we begin our day and we think it's going to be like every other day, that's the day, that's the way we should think. But it's not easy to prepare. First Thessalonians 5. Remember the church at Thessalonica? we were a good group of Christians, but they had some concerns. They had some worries. And so Paul writes and says some things in chapter 4 about the coming of the Lord. In chapter 5, he writes some encouraging words to him. He says, for you yourselves know, perfectly, the day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. Sounds familiar. Jesus used it before. Paul's writing and saying the same thing again. For when they say, peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Christian, it shouldn't be a shock. Yes, it's going to be difficult because we don't know the day and we have to be prepared every day. But it's not a shock. It's not a surprise. We're not going to be caught off guard because as Christians, we're prepared every day. And when we wake that day, this is the day in which we will die or the Lord will come back. And so, yes, it's difficult, but it's not impossible. And these words of encouragement are offered. Some of them thought that their loved ones weren't going to be able to make it to heaven. He says, don't be concerned about those who are asleep. In chapter 4, he says, "...when the Lord comes with a shout with the voice of the archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and, the, and the, we which are alive and remain shall meet the Lord in the air, and so be with Him forever." And then he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You and I should be comforted. We're all being prepared together. We're all doing the same thing. We're all serving the same God. We're all attempting to be faithful children of His. And we're preparing with a thought in mind. Today is the day I will die or Jesus will come back. Why is it difficult to prepare? Because being constantly prepared is an e- a difficult thing to do. Not only is it difficult because we don't know when he's coming back, it's just a difficult thing to constantly be on your toes and be on guard. Same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, You are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night or the darkness. Christian, you're not walking in darkness. You're faithfully serving him. Therefore, let us not sleep as others sleep, but let us watch and be sober. Wake up. Eyes up. Standing in tension. With the sword in front and the shield and going forth. And look to your left and look to your right. And there's Christians on either side. Christian soldiers and we're all marching together. We're being faithful together. No, it's not easy because we don't know the exact day. No, it's not easy because constantly being prepared and being on guard is a difficult thing to do. He says, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are doing. He's not left us alone. We must all give an account. We must all stand before him of our own accord. But we go together. We serve together. We march together and we help each other out. I say this often. We ought to love one another enough that we can walk up to one another and say, Brother, I was confused about what you said. I'm not sure you understood that scripture right. We should be able to say things like that. Sister, I heard you say a lie the other day and I was really concerned about that. We should be able to say those things to one another because we're trying to help one another be prepared. And it's not easy to go up to someone and say, Let's look at the Bible together because I'm concerned about your soul. Because the world around us says, you're being judgmental. Don't judge, don't judge. I can be who I want to be. You be who you want to be. But if we truly love one another, we truly want to help each other out, will we not want to go to one another and say, I want to help you. Let's go to heaven together. Let's look at the scriptures. What does it say? Let's make the changes that we need to make. Comfort one another and edify one another. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Think about the church of Corinth. A church with many many problems and what does paul say to them he encouraged them he says therefore my beloved brethren be steadfast be immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that your labor that your labor is not in vain in the lord christian what you're doing day after day striving struggling enduring it will be worth it all those things you're doing for the Lord, though though you don't know the day is coming back, and it's a difficult thing every day to be prepared for heaven. All those things you're doing to glorify Him, He's not forgotten those things. He won't forget those. And it'll be worth it all in that day. Point number three, preparing for heaven is not something everyone will do. Look at verses 6 through 9. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet Him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to to those who sell and buy for yourself. Preparing for heaven is not for everyone. Not everyone's going to do it. It takes two things. It takes great desire. Did not have eagerness? or they not virgins? with they not in purity awaiting for the bridegroom? They had a desire. But it's not just about desire, it's about great desire and great action. Meaning that we understand the call, we understand the responsibility, and we're willing to do that very thing. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, and following he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, Shall we enter the kingdom of heaven? But he that doth the will of my Father. And he says, many will say to me in that last day, have we not prophesied in thy name? We're not talking about unbelievers. We're talking about those who have the ability to prophesy in his name, to cast out demons, to do many wonderful works. And he'll say unto them, depart from me, for I never knew you. Really thought about that? He's not talking about unbelievers. He's not talking about people who sort of believed in jesus he mentions people who prophesied cast out demons and did many wonderful works no we're not prophesying we're not casting out any demons but are we doing wonderful works to bring glory to god absolutely are we his children we've been obedient to jesus christ by faith baptized into christ for the remission of our sins what's the point jesus is making you can't just say i love jesus and sing that on Sunday morning and put a, lunch, a bunch of money in the plate and partake of the Lord's Supper and bow your head in prayer and bring your Bible? It takes complete obedience. In Luke 6, 46, He says, Why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I command you? If we're truly going to be prepared for His coming, we have to be in complete obedience to His will. We can't pick and choose. We can't do what's comfortable or convenient for us. We have to go the extra mile in preparation. We have to do all that it takes to prepare for his coming. Because five were ready. They wanted to, but they weren't fully prepared. All can be prepared. That's the wonderful thing about it, is that everyone here this morning, everyone here this morning can be adequately prepared to go to heaven. Some of you haven't prepared because you haven't begun to understand. Maybe you need to study. We'll be glad to study with you. Many here will be willing to open up the Bible. Let's just look and see what the Bible says about preparation for heaven. Some of you have been studying and you're not a Christian yet. And Jesus makes it very clear. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized, and remain faithful in service to Him. And continue in faithfulness. Continue to endure and to remain prepared. Point number four, our preparation will be worth it all when Jesus comes. Look at verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding. And the door was shut. Those who were ready. Christian, some of you here have suffered And suffered and suffered. And maybe no one knows but you and God. And you've battled and you've struggled and you've tried so hard. And maybe you're the only faithful member of your family. Maybe you can't convince your parents or your spouse or your children or your siblings to be faithful to the Lord. Maybe you're the only one and you endure it. You go home and they make fun of you. You go to work and you try to do the right thing and they question you and they mock you. Children, teenagers, you go to school and no one at school understands why you won't go to the prom. Why you won't go drink on Friday night after the football game. It'll be worth it all. There's some of the songs we sing in the song, and just the thought about it. Just the thought about the song brings me to shiver and tears to form in my eyes. It'll be worth it all. Worth all the sorrows that here befall. After this life and all its strife, heaven will surely be worth it all. Keep on keeping on. Because when he came, they had been prepared, and yes, they slumbered and they slept and they waited, and they didn't know when. But when he came, guess what? They were welcomed in. And then the door shut. It'll be worth it, no matter how long we wait, no matter how difficult the journey is, no matter what others say or do or do not do in preparation. If I look around to those around me and I say the people are not prepared, it's discouraging, they're not doing the right thing. My family members, my friends, my co-workers, and we let that discourage us. We keep doing what the Lord has told us to do. And we're faithful in our service to Him and we try to encourage others. But prepare yourself for heaven and focus that primarily. And don't let preparing others around you keep you from doing the right thing. What do those five who are wise say? We can't give you anything. Because if we give you some, we might not have enough also. Sometimes that's the truth of the matter. Is that in our preparation, we're doing what we're supposed to do, but we just can't help other people prepare. And they choose not to prepare. Number five. Partial preparation for heaven is no preparation at all. Look carefully at verses 11 and 12. Afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Remember what McGarvey said? These would have been people of the household. These would have been people that had been prepared to go into the feast. Did he really know them? He knew they existed. He knew they would be waiting. When he came down to it, the door was closed. And they had not been prepared for his arrival. He says, I do not know you. Is that not what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 21 and following? And he says, those who had prophesied his name, cast out demons, and done many wonderful works, they had not been completely obedient to his will. And he says, I never knew you. A scary thought. You've prepared, and you've prepared, and you've prepared, or so you thought. And then we stand before him in judgment. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. But Lord, but Lord, I was faithful to you most of my life. Depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, I did most of what you said. Depart from me. I never knew you. It's really hard to swallow sometimes. Why does this statement, what does this statement to the unwise reveal? Jesus wants and knows those who are fully prepared. If you're faithful to him this morning, you've been faithful to him, you've been enduring and you're on your toes and you're ready and you think this is the day I'm prepared to die or I'm prepared for him to come back. He wants you and he's going to call you. You're going to go home with him one day. If one is not completely prepared prepared to enter, the bridegroom will not accept them. No one can go and claim, but Lord, I was prepared partially. I wanted to come in I had some oil for a little while. I was faithful to you most of the time. Won't matter. Just because one has a desire. Just because one is waiting. Just because one is among those who have oil. Don't think that you can just come sit here on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whenever there's a fellowship thing, whenever there's a church activity involved, and you can come and be a part of that. And that alone is going to be enough to be prepared. Those five were there with the five who were prepared. It wasn't enough. They couldn't enter in on that merit. When the bridegroom comes, partial preparation is really no preparation at all. That's what Jesus is teaching. You to do half of His will, you to be faithful for a little while, it's as if you were not faithful at all. Because when the door is closed, there's no knocking. Let us in. There's no pleading. Lord, I was faithful to you for a little while. We wanted to come in. We were sort of prepared. It won't matter. So point number six, the last point, very, very simple, is prepare today, right now, because we don't know when He's coming back. And that's the point Jesus makes in verse 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. For all we know, it's going to happen at 11.01. For all we know, it'll be 2.32 this afternoon. That's our mindset. That's the way we should be thinking, but maybe this morning someone hasn't been thinking that. You haven't been prepared. You haven't even began preparations at all. You can become a Christian this very day. Jesus says, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but it doesn't stop there. If belief alone was it, many in the world would be saved. But Jesus says, Luke thirteen three. I tell you, nay, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I have to believe in Him. I have to be willing to repent. That means I changed my heart and mind. The way I lived before Whatever religion or religious beliefs I had before, I turn away from that. It's not about me or my life or what I desire anymore. It's about what does He say to do? What preparations does He say to make? I repent of my sins and I turn to Him. And then Matthew 10, 32, He says, You confess Me before men, I'll confess you before My Father which is in heaven. This is a very, very undervalued command. You realize that you're continuing to confess every day. You walk before your friends, coworkers, family members, and you hear them talking about the Lord and you say, I just don't think I could do it. Are you denying Christ or are you confessing Him? And Jesus in that context is not talking about what someone does right before they're baptized. We see that example in Acts chapter eight. Jesus is speaking about continual confession. And Christian, maybe you're been unfaithful in confessing Jesus Christ as your Lord on a daily basis. And Jesus says in Mark 16, 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be condemned. And maybe there's someone here this morning, you've done everything. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, I repent. Yes, I confess Him, but I don't need to be baptized. But Jesus says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You want to be prepared for heaven? You have to be in Christ. And then you have to remain faithful to Him. Can we help you in some way this morning? If you're not a Christian, we encourage you to come. Become a Christian. If you've been unfaithful in your preparation, right now is the time to be prepared and you can make changes and ask for forgiveness of sins, be willing to repent and confess. We'll pray for you this very moment. Let us all prepare and go to heaven together. encourage you to come while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.